Welcome to the Flourish Heights podcast, made for women by women. I'm your host, Valerie Adjamine, women's health dietitian and the founder of Flourish Heights. To be empowered in health starts with a true connection with your body. Together, we are breaking through topics surrounding periods, women's nutrition, body awareness, self-care, and much more. Let's flourish and be the best version of ourselves. You guys, our Bloom Summit tickets are officially out. (laughs) Honestly, I have all the emotions. I'm like excited. I'm happy. I'm like nervous. I'm like freaking out. Yes, this is all the feels. So it is happening on August 21st. If you're in D.C., Maryland, or Virginia, you know what to do. Grab the tickets as soon as possible before they sell out because hello, limited seating. That's that's the first thing. <laughs> but I'm just beyond excited. It's our fifth one. It's going to be special. Our theme is real talk, fertility, infertility, and body image. And we always have a good time. Gems from the top women's health experts, food, DJ, so you know the music is going to be on point. Women-owned businesses to shop from, all my favorite vendors are going to be there. Lots of giveaways and so much more. If you've ever been to an event with Flourish Heights, I'm telling you, like, we are the queen of giveaways. Always, always fun brands that are just so excited to share their products with you guys. Um, But yeah, so over the course of the upcoming weeks, as we're gearing up for the summit, we're going to be diving into these topics on the podcast with our phenomenal guests. So stay tuned for that. And if you're not in the DC metropolitan area, don't worry because you probably have some friends or loved ones here in the area. So shoot the details their way. Check out the show notes for more. Now today I am hype for our special guest who has turned into a great friend over the years, Kendra Tolbert. She's a dietitian, yoga teacher, and certified aromatherapist specializing in PCOS, fertility, and PMS. She loves helping women in their 30s and 40s who want to conceive now or later, preserve and optimize their fertility, all without restrictive diets, exhausting exercise, and extreme measures. You are going to love, love, love this conversation. Honestly, it's stuff we just need to know and we just need to talk about. So grab a glass of something refreshing, sit back and enjoy the episode. I'm so happy you are here today. I'm like super excited for this conversation because I know I've been like, Kendra, I need to have you on the podcast. And for those, the listeners out there, Kendra and I are colleagues, we're friends. I love her. She's been so supportive of the Flourish Heights community. And I'm just really excited to jump into this conversation because now this is one of those topics where a lot of you know, a lot of you guys are interested. I remember, uh, you know, she wrote a she wrote a guest blog for our website. It was all about fertility, um, especially like how to boost fertility in, you know, 30s. And it did the best. <laughs> they come to the, the website literally just to see her blog. So this is just like a a little uh, a preview. That's a better word. A preview yes. into what we really need to jump in today. So Thank you so much, Kendra, for coming. Thank you for having me. You know how much I adore you and your community. (laughs) So I'm excited. I'm excited too. So first thing is first, 
tell the listeners who you're, you are, who, you know, what you're all about. Let's hear it. (laughs) So as you've probably noticed, my name is Kendra. Um, I'm a registered dietitian. I'm a yoga teacher and I'm a certified aromatherapist and I specialize in women's health. And for the most part, that looks like preconception preparation and PCOS. Yes. Love it. And we, I definitely, I don't have many RDs that I go to, but every time it comes to these types of topics, I'm always like referring people your way. Um, so you spoke on some of the things that you focus on as a dietitian. What kind of led you to doing this work? I know you have some kind of story. <laughs> I do. I do. I actually thought I would be a midwife because I was obsessed with like birth and labor, delivery, pregnancy from the time I was in middle school. And then I decided that's not the best route for me. After all, decided to be a dietitian. And I was really, really fortunate because the very first dietitian that I shadowed was a WIC dietitian. So she was working with women, infants, and children. And I was like, Ooh, let me do that. That way I can combine nutrition and my love for women's health into one. So I became a WIC nutritionist. And then one day, one of the women, she was coming to place her son onto the program. She shared with me that she had had trouble conceiving. And I was like, Ooh, could nutrition have helped her when she was trying to conceive? Mm. And so then I decided I really wanted to focus in on fertility and helping people prepare for pregnancy. And if at all possible, reducing their risk of infertility. So that's how I ended up in the world of fertility. It started off with really a love for pregnancy. Wow. And I see the passion that you have through the work that you do through your posts, through your, your YouTube videos. I love it. And that's such a beautiful story. So thank you so much for sharing. So speaking of fertility, we hear a lot about fertility and oftentimes it's associated with you know, just getting pregnant. Can you break down, you know, what fertility is for our listeners? Yes. So technically that is the definition of fertility, right? The ability to conceive, but I often think about it as no different than any other aspect of our health. I think of it as a reflection of how the rest of our health is going. I think of it as an extension of the rest of our health. And that's because there really is no organ system that's not impacted by other organ systems. And that doesn't impact other organ systems because everything's connected. And I also for some reason, have stopped thinking about fertility as just the ability to conceive. I associate it with so many other things. I think about vitality. I think about being fruitful. I think about being productive. So all of these things have somehow turned into one thing and they're all connected to fertility in my mind. Right. Okay. So you know how, um, you know, we hear, okay, you know, she's very fertile or she's infertile. And, um, you know, what are some, some signs of fertility? I guess we can go there or like, what are some ways we can get more in tune with our fertility? I know you have this, like more of a holistic type of approach. Yeah. So one of the best ways I think to really get an understanding of what is going on in your fertility is to get to know your cycle. That's going to tell you a lot about what's going on in the different phases of your cycle. And it's also going to tell you when your fertile window is, and you can look at those signs and symptoms to better understand your fertility. And the way that I approach fertility care really is holistic. It really is integrative. So I have this acronym that I use, and it actually spells out the word fertile, and it includes fun movement, 
enjoyable nourishment, rejuvenation, transcendence. And for me, transcendence is spirituality, um, integrative exploration, love, and emotional well-being. I think all of those really do feed into our overall well-being and therefore our reproductive health. I love it. <laughs> I really do love that. And you mentioned um, you mentioned cycle tracking. And mm -hmm. I see, you know, women every day, nutrition counseling, um, most have, you know, women's issues, um, different types of conditions from polycystic ovarian syndrome to fibroids, things like that. Um, and what I notice is a lot of people I see, they don't, um, they were never into cycle tracking. I mean, I get women from the rate, the ages of, you know, or, you know, twenties to, even fifties. Um, and so I think this is something that's still very new to people. Um, but I think it, it, it's so important to, I mean, that's like a really great way to just become more aware, not, not only even like with your cycle and fertility, just your, your whole health. And I always, you know, hear this and I'm, I know you have too. like, you know, your, um, it's like your menstrual cycle is your, your fifth vital sign, you know, mm -hmm. if, we, if we were to have one. And so it really gives you um, a better understanding of your unique patterns and, you know, and, and it's like, you don't, it's not like you have to be trying to, to get pregnant to just have an awareness of, of what's going on, um, you know, from ovulation to when you're having your period or just knowing like how many days I know, like some people, um, kind of follow the, I mean, like, I guess guess so much on like, um, you know, their period when it's going to come. And it, I don't know, like when you're just kind of monitoring it a little bit more, you know, you can kind of plan and, um, know what to expect too. So I love that you mentioned that because I just feel like we can't educate people, um, enough on just getting to know their bodies and getting to know their cycles. I wholeheartedly agree. Yeah. Yeah. So now what are some things that can impact fertility? Oh, there's so many different things. Chronic conditions can absolutely impact it. So PCOS can, hypothalamic amenorrhea, which is usually caused by a combination of undereating, overexercising, and extreme psychological stress. Um, thyroid conditions can impact fertility. Also, anatomical abnormalities can impact it. So sometimes people are born without a uterus or ovaries or fallopian tubes. Male factors can also impact impact fertility. So often it's all placed on the woman, but you know, it takes two to tango. So men can contribute to it as well. There are a lot of things that can impact someone's fertility. Oh, that, that is definitely a lot. Would you also say, um, like nutrient deficiencies could be oh, one. Absolutely. I don't know how I left that out. I took off my <laughs> idea for a moment. <laughs> I caught it for you, girl. No, but I, I, I hear that sometimes too. So I'm like, wait, no, that, that could be one of them or that is one of them. And, um, yeah, I, I heard under, under eating over exercising. I'm just like, yeah, this is like something a lot of, a lot of women do. And we can't, you know, blame them. You know, a lot of the times like healthy to society is like not eating as much <laughs> or cutting like restriction, cutting out a lot of, um, food groups and just over-exercising, but that can impact your fertility as well. And I've seen that. I've seen that actually in, in practice. 
where, um, you know, one of my, my patients, she was not eating a lot. She was following a very restrictive diet. I think it was like a 500, there's a name for it. I forgot what they call it, but there was like a 500 calorie diet that she was doing and, um, over exercising and she lost her period. So it happens. <laughs> it really does. Yeah. Um, now tell me like is fertility and you kind of mentioned this, um, a little bit, um, but it's the question that comes up a lot. So tell it, say it again, like tell, tell the <laughs> listeners, like is fertility important only when you are trying to conceive. Absolutely not. It's always important. Like I said, it is telling us a lot about the rest of our health and it can't be separated from the rest of our body. So our reproductive organs are influenced by all of our other organs. And as you called it, the fifth vital sign, it really does tell us what's going on in our body. So it's not like an off on switch. It's not like I want to conceive now. So now my reproductive organs matter and are being influenced by my decisions. It's being influenced by your decisions, whether or not your goal is to conceive. And like I said, I don't think about fertility just in terms of the ability to conceive. I think about fertility um, as vitality and creativity and being productive and feeling good in your body. And those are things that most people want, even if they're never going to try to conceive. So fertility matters as soon as you hit puberty until you hit menopause, all of that time, it matters. Yes, I agree 100%. What are some top fertility myths you often hear? Oh man, (laughs) there are so (laughs) many. I think we'll start with, yeah, the first one would definitely be the nutrition. Um, one that I hear the most is that, you know, wheat, dairy, and soy are bad for your fertility. Absolutely not true. (laughs) Yeah. So that's a big nutrition. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I feel like phytoestrogens have just gotten such a bad rap. People are really quite confused about them. Um, And then the other big myth that I hear is that as soon as you turn 30, your chances of conceiving are just like out the window. There's no chance of it happening. Why are you even trying unless you're doing IVF or some other other sort of assisted reproductive technology? There's just this idea that you turn 30 and like everything shrivels up and you can no longer get pregnant. Not quite over. Not true at all. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. It's scary. And I, I hear that a lot. Cause I mean, I'm around this age and this is what mm-hmm. I hear and I ain't got no, no babies yet. And <laughs> it's like, it can bring a lot of anxiety, you know, and there's just this big expectation for, for mm-hmm. women around this age. Um, I always hear women are most fertile on the 14th day of their cycles. And that is a myth <laughs> because absolutely, you know, everyone has different cycle lengths. Everyone's cycle is, you know, menstrual cycle is super unique, different from one another. And so, you know, even if you're using like a period tracker, you, you know, it's, it's just not exact. It's not like plugged in to your, your body, like literally, you know, so it, it can predict. It's a great like predictor but it's not exact. It's not like very much so accurate. Um, it's better than not doing anything in some, most cases, (laughs) but, um, 
Yeah, that's something I hear quite a lot too. Like mm-hmm. that women are, are the most fer- uh, fertile on the fourth, has to be the 14th day. It's like, this is the day <laughs> I am ovulating. It's the 14th day. Like you wake up midnight. Like, <laughs> Today's the day. <laughs> Don't mind me. Don't mind me. Um, but even when it comes to like ovulation, we'll tell people about that. And cause that impacts fertility quite a lot. And, um, you know, also I, I just feel like, you know, we hear about the fertility awareness method and even when it comes to, um, you know, ovulation, there are some signs and things, there are signs and symptoms that you could possibly look out for to know that you are ovulating. Most women don't even know when they are ovulating too. Yeah. And I think the reason they don't know is because they're thinking it's on day 14 or they're turning to these apps that use a predictive algorithm based on things in the past to determine the likelihood that you're going to ovulate on that same day again in your future cycles. But the truth is that each cycle can be different. You may be extremely stressed in one cycle and that pushes back your ovulation. You may have gotten sick. You may have gotten a vaccine. All of these things have the potential to change change when you ovulate. So you really do want to be paying attention to your body to determine when your fertile window is. And so cervical mucus can give you a sign. Um, Changes in libido can give you a sign. Changes in vaginal sensation can give you a sign. These are all things that may tell you that you're approaching ovulation. And so that's really what you want to pay attention to. Your body is giving you clues all the time about where you are in your cycle that an app can document, but it can't absolutely tell you when these things are going to happen. Yes. You know, you mentioned stress and I know that all too well, and I am (laughs) managing it as best as I can these days. Um, And I... Agree. I remember, and I track my, um, my menstrual cycle. I'm a little, a little too, not, I wouldn't say obsessive, but I'm on it <laughs> for sure. You know, from, you know, just tracking, um, you know, my mood and all these different things. Um, so there's been a couple times where I've been crazy stressed and I've seen how it has impacted my period. So let's jump right into stress. Talk to us about how that may impact fertility and reproductive health. Yeah. So I think about it in terms of it impacting fertility, either indirectly or directly. So indirectly, it may worsen the symptoms of another condition that has an impact on your fertility or directly, like we just said, it may actually change when you're likely to ovulate or when you do ovulate. And so, you know, when you can't really tell exactly when you're going to ovulate, it makes it a lot more difficult to time sex if you're trying to conceive. And it can make it a lot more difficult to avoid sex if you're trying not to conceive and you're using fertility awareness as your form of birth control. So that's how I think of it. And I had this yoga teacher who explained it in terms of when you are stressed, that's communicating to your body that this may not be the best time to bring another human (laughs) into this world. Cause we're already struggling to take care of this one. How are we going to take care of another? And I thought that was a really smart way to think about it is that my body is constantly scanning the environment, constantly taking in cues to determine if it can just keep me alive, let alone another person. So stress is kind of saying like, 
this isn't the safest time and your body wants to do what's best for you and a potential baby. Our bodies are so amazing and so powerful and so smart. And it's always looking out for us. I mean, I heard basically survival mode. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's like the switch is turned off. Yeah. You got to get your, yourself back together. Then we can turn the switch on back again. Yeah. That's amazing. Okay. And I want to hear later on just what your stress management activities and things are, but what should women in their thirties know about this fertility cliff? Cause I mean, you mentioned earlier, you know, I mean, it was a myth. It was one of the myths that you, you had said, right. And yeah, but can age really affect fertility? Yeah. So aging is associated with a decline in fertility or the likelihood of conceiving. But I always say it's a dip, not a nosedive. Cause I feel like okay. people talk about it. Like we completely fall off a cliff and we don't, we may just like go down a slightly, you know, like less steep hill, but we're not just like tumbling down the edge of a cliff. So there's this one article that I looked at and it actually broke down the probability of conceiving after two years of trying based on Mm. age. And for women 19 to 26, there was a 98% chance for women 27 to 25. There was a 95% chance for women 30 to 34. There was a 94% chance. And for women 35 to 39, there was a 90% chance. So yeah, it's not 98, like when women were 19 to 26, but it's also not 50% or 25% or zero. So again, it's a dip, not a nosedive. No. And that's what we always think. It's like, we turn this age and it's just this drastic change that happens and mm-hmm. everything becomes so difficult. And I thank you so much for, for that, because it puts things into perspective a little bit more. Um, thank you. Yeah. Okay. One thing I do want to, Oh, can I oh no, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> um, so one thing I do want to say about that. So this was based on people trying for up to two years, but that doesn't mean that you should wait until the two-year mark to seek out attention or help if you're having trouble. So if you are under 35, if it's been a year, you want to go see someone about it because that technically can be diagnosed as infertility. And if you are 35 Mm -hmm. or over and it's been six months, you do want to go see your provider to see what might be going on. Cause there might be something that can be addressed that could actually, you know, shave some time off of that two years or that, you know, something else might be going on that really needs to be taken a look at. So you don't want to wait till two years. If it's been a year and you're 34 and under go to your doctor. If you're 35 and over, go to your doctor at the six month mark. Good to know. Okay. So what labs would you recommend for someone trying to conceive? So you mentioned, you know, there's, if you're trying for a certain period of time, you know, to go and see a specialist, um, is this something like, you know, they would do a workup and things, but are there any like labs that, you know, women should just be mindful of? when it comes to um, trying to conceive so that it can kind of advocate for, for that. Absolutely. So as a dietitian, I'm always thinking about 
things that nutrition can have an impact on. So Mm -hmm. that really, those are the labs that I'm most concerned with and the labs that I typically recommend. So I would absolutely recommend getting your vitamin D checked. We talked about nutrient deficiencies playing a role in your fertility, Um, a CBC, so a complete blood count that can give us some idea of whether or not some anemia needs to be addressed. I would absolutely recommend having your hemoglobin A1C checked, your fasting insulin and your fasting glucose. Um, And you want to check those because insulin resistance, even if you don't um, have it to the degree that you would be diagnosed with diabetes or prediabetes can still have a negative impact on time to conception. So how long it actually takes you to conceive. So you want to address insulin issues. Um, the other thing, definitely check your thyroid. That's where I would start. And then there's one that I didn't think about till earlier this year. I was listening to a YouTuber talk about how she was trying to conceive. And she said her OBGYN had her do a titer to check to see if she still had the antibodies for the vaccines that she took as a child. And I was like, that makes so much sense, right? Because there are some vaccines that you don't want to take when you're pregnant and you don't want to take when you're trying to conceive. Because theoretically, because they're putting the live virus for certain vaccines into you, there's a potential theoretical risk to the baby. So you want to see, do I need these vaccines before you actually get pregnant? So I think that's a really good one that I'm so happy she mentioned because it had never even crossed my mind. Is that something that OBGYNs, not like that they don't know, but it is, I mean, that's something I've never heard of, you know, heard about. And I'm sure there's many people that haven't heard about, I don't hear it talked about either. And I'm in this women's health space, um, you know, cause yeah, I mean, I wouldn't go all the way into all that, but yeah, I mean, like, is this (laughs) something that, (laughs) I mean, cause you know, vaccines, the topic of vaccines period are very controversial. Yeah, definitely can (laughs) be. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like, what is this something that is commonly known amongst or known amongst OBGYNs? It's something that I hope is commonly known. Um, I believe ACOG recommends it, um, but it may be something that's a little bit newer and not the first thing that people consider when someone is trying to conceive, but it should be well known. Yeah. And, you know, I've been seeing, and this is kind of, it just came to my mind right now. Um, I've been seeing a lot of companies. um, I can think of a few right now that have these like fertility tests that you can do um, that have like the, what is it? The AMH. I never remember Mm -hmm. how to pronounce it, Um, (laughs) (laughs) but apparently it can kind of give you an idea of you know, your, um, what is it? Your egg reserve basically, Mm -hmm. and your overall reproductive health. I mean, what are your thoughts on, on that? Mm, I have mixed feelings about it because I feel like sometimes people will get a low number and they see that as like, oh my God, I'm infertile. And Mm it can give you an idea of your egg reserve, like you said, but that's not telling you a quality. That's not telling you your individual likelihood of conceiving. And I think sometimes people are going into these things without any guidance or without Mm -hmm. a provider taking a look at it with them. So I'm not a huge fan of those as standalones to determine where you are. Cause I think there are so many other things that you also need to take a look at. Yeah. Thank you for that. I I've been seeing, I mean, there, I'm not going to name any brands or anything like that, but (laughs) I see them all over social media. Um, 
you know, and I've, I've been a part of like little virtual events where I, I would hear like specialists, um, talk about how, you know, like it's a great baseline for, um, you know, for women and I don't know, I guess like twenties, thirties, whatever, um, to have an idea. Um, but I like that you said, it's not like a standalone. It's, you can't, um, kind of take that test and it determines like 100% where your fertility, what your fertility status is. There's so many things that factor into that as well. Yeah. Okay. Nutrition. How, I guess, what, what role does nutrition play in fertility? Like, why is it so important? So the way I think of it is that nutrition provides the backbone and the actual building blocks for our reproductive organs, our reproductive cells, our reproductive hormones. Like without food, we wouldn't have the things that we need to build those things that we need in order to conceive. And also we have research that shows that there are particular eating patterns that are associated with a decreased risk of ovulatory infertility. And if someone is undergoing IVF, then the likelihood that they will conceive. So there are actual specific eating patterns that seem to be protective and supportive for fertility. Protective and supportive. I love that you said that. I love that because, you know, we often see, okay, eat this, eat that, but it's just good to know, like how, you know, nutrition actually plays a role in fertility it's not something that, you know, people kind of, um, look to, they're not thinking about what they're eating. And it also goes for not only like the, you know, the female, but it's like, you know, the male, I mean, Absolutely. you mentioned earlier, yeah. it takes, takes two to tango. So it's just, you know, overall, um, everybody's health and nutrition, nutrition status. Mm -hmm. So what are a few foods, I know listeners would be very interested to know, um, you know, a few foods that anybody can add to their diet today to optimize fertility. I got this answer <laughs> from <laughs> one of my favorite fertility dietitians. And she was the very first fertility dietitian that I ever came across. And I'm like, if I hadn't seen her existing, I may not know that this is something that you could actually do. But um, Judy Simon, she's like one of the OGs of fertility nutrition. And she had answered this in one of her interviews. And she said beans and greens. And I was like, that's it. Yeah. Like that. Everyone beans can and greens. Beans and greens and it runs. So it'll stick <laughs> in your head. They're delicious. They're a great source of fiber and resistant starch and tons of micronutrients and antioxidants. So they really are providing a lot of nutrients to support your body. And that fiber is helping to make sure that you, you know, have regular bowel movements so that we are getting rid of the waste so that we are supporting hormone balance. That same fiber is also going to help with keeping your blood sugar balanced, which we talked about insulin resistance and time to conception. It has like those foods have so many benefits for our overall health and for our fertility. Okay. What if you don't like beans or greens? <laughs> <laughs> if you don't like beans or greens, then, you know, find another plant-based protein that you do enjoy, um, or a protein rich plant-based food that you do enjoy. Perhaps you like nuts and seeds. If you oh, don't yeah, like I greens, Oh, perfect. If you don't like greens, there are tons of other vegetables that you can also eat. So focus in on adding some more vegetables and, you know, swapping in plant-based protein 
you know, from time to time. You don't have to go vegan or vegetarian to just eat more plants. Um, you can eat more without needing to choose a side or choose an extreme. Yeah. I always hear like eggs, um, like avocados, fatty fish, like salmon, sardines, those kinds of things mm-hmm. I hear often when it comes to fertility. So what is it about these foods? Like what are some like key nutrients that, I mean, you mentioned fiber, Um, what are some other nutrients that these types of foods do have? Yeah. So if we look back at the beans and greens that I mentioned earlier, they're a great source of non-heme iron. And we have research that suggests that non-heme iron um, can actually be protective against ovulatory infertility. So infertility that's caused by an issue with ovulation. Um, When we're looking at some of our higher fats, so like the monounsaturated fatty acids and the polyunsaturated fatty acid rich foods, and we're getting those wonderful fatty acids that again, are the building blocks for so many of our hormones. And we're also getting fat soluble vitamins. We're making sure that we can absorb those fat soluble vitamins. And they're also great. They're a great source of antioxidants. And as we age, our bodies have been exposed to for longer and longer and longer periods of time to, um, oxidative stress and oxidative damage, which can have a negative impact on our egg health. So the more we're getting in antioxidants, the more we're countering the effect of those free radicals and that oxidative stress and damage. Very good information. Wow, guys, I'm learning a lot from Kendra. I know you guys are too. Um, So Kendra, what about supplements? I mean, prenatals, I mean, it's one that doctors typically recommend. They say you should start taking it far in advance of getting pregnant. So first, are there any supplements you, you generally recommend for fertility? I always think that supplements should be tailored to the person as much as possible. There are a few that are foundational that I use with most of my clients, but I think anything beyond this, you really do want to make sure that it's tailored to your labs, your health, your eating pattern, your conditions. And of course, any supplement that you take, I'm always going to recommend that you have a conversation with your personal healthcare team. But the foundational three that I often start with, that would be a prenatal vitamin, um, an omega-3 supplement, and CoQ10 for those of my friends who are in their 30s and their 40s. That does seem to be beneficial because as we age, um, our CoQ10 levels go down, and that seems to be associated with a decline in A quality. And that decline in A quality is a associated with this higher risk of infertility as we age. So if we can do something about those CoQ10 levels, we might be protecting our eggs from that decline and protecting ourselves from that age-related fertility decline. So this might be the first time someone's actually hearing like what on earth CoQ10 is. What is (laughs) CoQ10? You mentioned um, like egg quality. So like, Mm -hmm. tell us about that. About a quality or CoQ10 or both? <laughs> both. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So CoQ10 is a vitamin-like substance. It is fat soluble. It is found in foods, um, but we often think about getting it from a supplement. And so, as I said, as we get older, our levels of CoQ10, they go down. Um, and so that does seem to be associated with a decline in a quality. And then a quality 
kind of what it sounds like, right? So it's the quality of our eggs. So the half that women provide when we are trying to conceive, right? So men give the sperm, women give the egg. And so we want both of those to be as healthy as possible. And so anything that we can do to support egg quality, like the CoQ10 or having antioxidant rich foods, that is going to make sure that we are delivering up the very best genetic material to the potential offspring that we might have. Wow. Thank you so much for breaking that down. Very helpful. The helpful stuff right there. <laughs> um, and I think, I mean, for this, you, you mentioned it already. It's just, you know, like when it comes to finding a good prenatal, you know, working with your your provider on that. Um, so that's good. And I always hear with like, um, prenatals folate is something that people should make sure it definitely Mm -hmm. has. And there's like different forms of, you know, when it comes to folic acid versus folate, I, a lot of people don't know that information. Can you briefly share the difference? Yeah. So folic acid is the type that is synthetic. It's the man-made variety. Folate is what we typically find in foods. So there's a bit of a difference there. I tend to often encourage people to make sure that they're also getting um, folate rich foods and not just depending on folic acid from foods, maybe where they've added in folic acid or just their supplement. But both are beneficial. Both do seem to decrease our risk of neural tube defects. So if you get pregnant, you want to make sure that you have been getting enough folate and folic acid from either supplements or your food. Yeah. Yeah. And I know like folic acid, um, it's fortified in some of the other types of foods, like mm-hmm. I think breads and, and pastas apart from supplements. Yeah. Um, and then folate, a couple food items, like dark leafy greens. You mentioned that earlier. Yeah. Um, asparagus, avocado. Those are some great folate, folate sources. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we talked quite a lot about nutrition, but can we go into more lifestyle? Um, you know, you mentioned just how stress can impact fertility and just your overall reproductive health and just in general, your body period and your wellness. Um, so you are a dietitian, you're a yoga teacher. You use yoga also to help, you know, help your, your, your clients. And especially when it comes to PCOS, since I know that's, um, one of your, your specialty areas. So can you tell us a bit about the benefits of gentle movement for, for fertility or just, you know, for overall wellness. Yeah. So I often think about it in again, two different categories. It's often how things are pitted in my brain for some strange reason. But when I think about the more traditional ideas around preparing for pregnancy, you think about making sure that you have good blood flow or energy flow to your reproductive organs. So gentle movement is going to encourage that circulation. It's going to, if you're thinking about maybe from an herbalist idea or traditional Chinese medicine idea, you know, kind of push out stagnation so that you are getting this fresh blood carrying nourishment to those reproductive organs and carrying away waste from those reproductive organs. And then on the other side, gentle movement is going to help you to manage stress. And we've talked about how stress can definitely impair ovulation, push it back. It can even, if it's in an extreme form, shut down your menstrual cycle as we see in hypothalamic amenorrhea. So I'm a huge fan of gentle movement because it provides 
those things that provide stress management and encourages circulation and blood flow. And for those with PCOS, something like yoga is actually going to help with things like insulin resistance. It's actually wow. been shown to help with hirsutism. So all of these things are things that people are often concerned about um, when they are trying to conceive or they are experiencing PCOS. That's great. And it, they all have this like relaxation factor to it. Mm-hmm. You know, we're always on the go, got this deadline, got that thing to do. It's just like, take a, take a pause, you know, and, <laughs> and it's actually doing really, really great things for your body and your fertility as well. What are some of your, um, just a few of your favorite stress management activities? Definitely yoga. Um, Journaling is a huge one for me. Taking walks in nature is lovely. Prayer, um, reading. I find reading incredibly calming, especially recently I've turned back to fiction. I spent so much time reading resource (laughs) books, like reference books and self-help and spirituality and religious books that I kind of got away from reading just for the sake and joy of reading. So that can be really lovely. Um, Speaking with people who love you and support you. Those are going to be lovely ways to manage stress. Yes. (laughs) And, you know, possibly reaching out to a therapist if you need some additional support. Love it. Love it. Love it. Do you have any like clients success stories that you can share with us just, you know, throughout your work? Just, I mean, even if it's just one, I think listeners would really, really love to, to hear. (laughs) Oh, I've been really fortunate to have some amazing clients. So it's almost difficult to choose just like one to highlight, but my very first PCOS client, I was so grateful for her. She really kind of, I don't want to say she let me use her as a guinea pig, but (laughs) she did (laughs) let me like learn a bit um, along the way. And I remember for her, it was more so about the peace that she experienced, you know, so much of the PCOS care is fear-based. So much of it is restrictive and extreme and how it's presented online and sometimes how providers present it. So for her to see like, it could be easy, it could be fun, it could be enjoyable, it could respect her heritage and her cultural food preferences was really, really important to her. And she did eventually start to ovulate more regularly and now she's pregnant. So, Yay! you know, it's we been really lovely. <laughs> it's been so cool to see her journey um, and to see her make peace with her body. Honestly, that's probably the main reason that I do what I do. Of course, I want people to conceive if that's their goal, but I want people to feel good about these bodies that they're hoping to carry children in. Like, I want them to love these bodies because these are the homes of the next generation. You know, you put the, the way you put your words together, Kendra. I love it. And that was such a powerful story. I mean, it's just always good to, to hear these kinds of things. It just gives hopes, you know, hope to people and just to let them know that, yeah, you can do it. You can make peace. You can have a great relationship with food. Um, it's not always about restriction or overdoing it. And I know there's just so much information out there, which is why we have this conversation, these kind of conversations, (laughs) why Kendra's here today. I'm so, I'm so grateful for you and all the information that you shared with us today. Um, very, very valuable, very informative, and we'll be putting your, um, the information in, in the show notes so that, all of our amazing listeners can reach out and support your work as well. (sighs) 
Thank you, Kendra. You're amazing. Oh, thank you. Ditto. (laughs) So this is a question I ask all of my guests. um, And that is, how do you flourish? Hmm. By nourishing myself. And that looks different from day to day. Right now, it looks like trying to stick to a very simple morning routine where I do my best not to pick up my phone and I make myself a cup of tea. And while my tea is steeping, I might do some movement. I might pray. I might journal. I might sit there. Um, Yeah. And then enjoying my cup of tea. And that's how I try to start my day with something warm and calming, moving my body and sitting with God. I really do find that that's the most nourishing thing for me to do. And that that helps me to flourish. Amazing. Okay. You said tea. Let's get back to your your tea real quick. (laughs) What kind of tea? Because I'm I'm obsessed with tea. What kind of tea do you do you love your top teas? Okay. So I would have to say green tea. I'm definitely a big fan, especially now I have this um, electric kettle. And so I'm able to get the temperatures just right before Mm -hmm. when I was just like waiting for it to boil, Mm -hmm. it was always so bitter, but now my tea is less bitter and I make sure not to oversteep it. Um, I'm also a big fan of, I always mispronounce it. So I'm just going to say red bush, but it's (laughs) rooibos. I believe is how you say it. (laughs) huge fan. Um, I like loose leaf teas too. There's something almost like there's a ceremony involved when you have to (laughs) scoop it, you hear it, you smell it and, um, putting it into my little steeping, uh, teapot to get to see it, like mix around with the Mm -hmm. water and unfold is really lovely. So those are, those are my two favorites. Well, you guys, Kendra, this is her. She's amazing. And I'm so excited and um, happy that you got to experience, you know, all the gems that she dropped. Kendra, thanks you once again for stopping by the Flourish Heights podcast and let's get together soon. (laughs) Please. Thank you. What a wonderful conversation I just had with Kendra. This is a preview into our Bloom Summit. So DC, like I said, you know what to do. Get the details in the show notes. Grab your tickets as soon as possible and tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend. We sell out every single year. You don't want to miss it. If you enjoyed today's episode on how to boost your fertility, leave us a kind review and rating. Share with a friend. We are opening up about these hush, hush, hush topics, okay? I can't wait to connect with you again in our next episode. But until next time, keep flourishing. (laughs) 